Bandwidth for JS Party is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. Welcome to JS Party, a weekly celebration of JavaScript and the web. Tune in live on Fridays at 3 p.m. U.S. Eastern at changelaw.com slash live. Join the community and Slack with us in real time. Head to changelaw.com slash community. Follow us on Twitter. We're at JSPartyFM. And now on to the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to JS Party, where it's a party every week with JavaScript. I'm Michael Rogers. I'm Rachel White. And I'm Alan Sampson. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Can't even get through an intro with it without Alex cracking wise. All right, so we got a great uh, show today. We're going to talk a bit about uh, Node.js native modules and and VM neutrality. We're going to talk about uh, Mastodon, uh, the project, not the band. Although we may talk about the band too. Okay. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit about uh, how to get new people into JavaScript. So it's going to be a great show. We have this new thing coming into Node.js uh, in the version 8 release. It's kind of a big deal. It's called NAPI. Um, people have been calling it Nappy for a while, and then they decided that they are no longer going to call it Nappy, and it's just NAPI now. But um, essentially, so if, if you've done anything with Node.js for a long time, you probably at some point had to use a native module. Or some module that you used used a native module. Wait, wait, uh, wait, 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 wait. Yeah. Nappy? <laughs> Is that because it means... <laughs> Diaper? <laughs> no, in, no. In the in Europe, that's it's, that's how you say diaper native. in Europe. <laughs> oh really? Right? Oh god! I'm pretty sure like a no, nappy no. is like a diaper. Yeah, in, in... it is a diaper. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, cool. That's probably why we're to, not calling it I that. Call, come back for, to for that native APIs. So okay, I makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so if you've been doing Node.js for really anything, you've you've had to deal with a native module. Native modules are. Um, We've been trying to rewrite the whole world in JavaScript, but sometimes you still need to bind to some kind of C or C++ module. And those modules basically get bound pretty much directly to V8, to, to the API or the ABI, the, the binary API that um, the V8 exposes. You probably use a, it, the modules that you're using that are native are probably actually using this middle layer called uh, NAN, Native Abstractions for Node. But all that does is really just uh, kind of marshal between older versions of Node and the, and the V8. VM APIs there. Um, so this has been problematic for a number of reasons. One is that like this really locks us into V8, but it also means that we break all of those native modules every major release of Node because we take a new version of V8 and V8 has a new ABI in basically every release. So, you know, if you've ever upgraded a major version of Node, you've probably had to recompile some of your projects in order to work. Um, you know, if you're on the front end, it's probably because of the SAS library. There's a really popular SAS library written in, in C. Um, if you do database stuff, it's probably the level ecosystem. If you do robots, probably serial port. The serial port's a native module needs to get down in, in the depth there. Um, there aren't that many native modules in the Node ecosystem, but if you kind of crawl through the deep dependencies, the depths of depths of depths, um, about 30% of the modules in NPM are indirectly uh, dependent on some kind of native module. So breaking all of those every release sucks. Nobody wants to do that. Um, and, you know, if if another feature impacted 30% of the ecosystem, Node.js would try, it would do everything that it could to ensure that that never broke <laughs> between native releases. Nothing that impacts the ecosystem that much um, other than native modules would ever be considered uh, in the core project. So yeah, so we've been trying for a very long time to get past this, but the the main problem has been that you know people need to support it. Like Google has to support an an API that we can 
bind to indefinitely, right? They're, they're not going to guarantee support for, you know, any kind of middle layer. So even, even NAND, this native abstraction for node, it went through a big breaking change because of the way that V8 exposed its API changed so dramatically that it actually couldn't marshal between everything anymore and it had to do a breaking change. So if we create an API and we want to guarantee that it's going to last forever, we need Google to support it. Um, and we need any other VM uh, that, you know, supports Node to, to support it. So that brings us to uh, basically to IOJS. So in the IOJS days, started working a lot more with Google. Google was very happy that we were taking newer versions of V8 in IOJS. Um, and from that point on, um, the certain members of the V8 team, particularly from uh, Google Cloud Project, have been working really diligently um, on Node.js and a lot of the integration points. Um, and an effort was led by Microsoft um, because they, for Node Chakra, for uh, that's Node.js bound to the Microsoft Chakra VM rather than Google's V8 engine, they had to just emulate the entire V API. Um, so they really felt the pain uh, of this of this problem. So they led an effort along with Microsoft and even some people from Mozilla who are doing spider node um, to create a native it's API. Still going? Just, yeah, yeah. It's still going? Cool. yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> it, it was rebooted. Okay, <laughs> I, would, I, would, I, would not, I would not say still going. I think they took like a four year break. <laughs> got um, but yeah, so they, they got basically rebooted uh, around this whole native API effort. And so now for the first time, uh, node V8, uh, no, sorry, <laughs> node eight, the, the eighth major version of Node.js, um, there will be a flag where you can try out this new native API and people can start binding to it. So it's really exciting because now major versions are not going to have these giant breaks. And um, if you write a JavaScript virtual machine, a lot of people are writing like new JavaScript VMs. You can expose this API in the future and node will just work. Questions, questions, comments. So back to how we pronounce it. <laughs> it reminds me there was there was like the knuckle and uh, pinnacle. Some people called it pinnacle, which I always disliked. So, I mean, I those liked are other things. It, I liked calling it nappy. Um, they, I, I was told shortly after the the NAPI working group met that they did. No, no longer wanted to call it nappy. <laughs> Did not want people referring to it as nappy. So I've been respecting that, even though I don't agree. I liked calling it nappy. I, I can understand why people wouldn't want to call it that. I mean, it could have a lot of negative connotations, not just related to diapers. So, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you know, diaper, you don't want to associate your code base with diapers anyway. <laughs> yeah. You guys need to speak for yourself. Diaper JS comes out this fall <laughs> is is that is that a library or a conference is that a conference uh, at your house where we have to change your baby for you <laughs> no no comment at this time so i'm like look looking at this um the the repository for this and so you mentioned the like the node sas thing but like what what are some other I guess are these lists of uh, of modules, the level down, nano message, canvas, are these ones that already have enabled it and there's other ones that need to be converted in order to be compatible with it? So um, one of the things that the that this whole project kind of identified early on was, okay, what are the most used native modules? Um, and then let's make sure that we can support those. So it, it's it's virtually impossible 
to take everything that that the V8 VM or the Shocker VM does and abstract it into an API that can just live in perpetuity, right? Um, not even you know NAND does this, which is like the, the thing that everybody binds to today. Um, but if you if you can look at the most common modules and the things that they do um, with NAND or with with the the V8 API, then you can get a pretty good idea of the the minimum viable set of APIs that you need to expose. And so that's sort of what they've done with that list of modules there. It's the the most common native modules. Many of them actually use NAND today. So if you can entirely support NAND and have NAND build on top of this native API, then you know that you can support most of those. Um, and a, a lot of modules actually use, you know, NAND for maybe 30 or sorry, 30, like 90% of what they do. And then they have, you know, an extra little bit of code that just talks directly to V8 for some kind of other thing, like some operation that has to live outside of the NAND API because it doesn't support it. Um, so they want to make sure that they support, you know, even that, that last 10% um, when they go live. Uh, I have a question. Mm -hmm. The, the node GYP, is that at all related to this? I feel like that's native something or other. No GOIP. I don't know if I'm really familiar with that. Um, is it a module? Uh, yeah, it's like super, super popular for like building native something or other. Uh, I oh, think yeah, I, here we go. No, no native Node.js implementation of MaxMind's GOIP API. Cool. Yeah, I think this is in like half. Like, I don't know if I've installed... Uh, N node modules in my life and this wasn't one of the modules that came down um so this, the, this module looks like pure javascript though this looks like it's not a native module though uh okay feels really native-y whenever you <laughs> download it 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 comes it, you had to get like the node headers tar gz thing and that broke this past week whenever npm went down which we could oh wow about. Uh, the CD, I guess the CDN went down or something. Maybe this, de this might depend on a native module. So that's probably what it is. Okay. Anyways. Cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the answer is no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, another really annoying bit of this too, is if you've done any electron development, um, electron has its own version of node in it. Um, and so, and with, with its own version of V8, right? So if you have native modules, you need to compile them again, not against the command line node and command line NPM that you run on the command line to install the, the native module, but you actually need to compile them against the, uh, V8 and node that Electron uses and Electron has. So there's all this like crazy work that you have to do to swap out, you know, the header locations and make all that stuff work as well. So, you know, hopefully this will also make that a lot easier to deal with because if they're all just bound to the same API, then um, they can just get compiled and, and be hunky dory. Hopefully, hopefully. We'll see. We'll see. It's still very early days, but that's the goal. The goal is to make everybody's life easier and to eventually also have many, many. VMs that support Node.js. So you can run Node.js on all these really tiny microcontrollers and devices and stuff, and they can have custom-built engines that work really well for those devices. I, I right. built guitar pedals, and I'm looking forward to the day when I can, on a, on a $6 microchip, run, run all my audio transforms in Node.js. Are we almost there, though? Like, what, what does the Tesla yeah. 2 cost? I mean, the Tesla 2 is pretty close. 
we're, I think we're definitely almost there. I've been actually thinking about trying to use the tussle for some kind of like live uh, visual feeding thing because I do uh, visuals for like music stuff and you usually need a, a resource with a bunch of clips. So it would be easier than having to build a whole entire like mini computer with a Raspberry Pi. I was wondering if like, would it still make more sense that since Node.js is just becoming available on like these harder for Node.js to run devices, is it actually just an easier way to run like Go or like something that you know you can't ever install? Just like, uh, like, wouldn't it be faster to write? Like if you're really resource constrained, could you just compile Go via Inscript in onto into JS and then uh, do like Wasm on, on the microcontroller for six dollars? We just went through like four layers of uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> compiles but there. I, <laughs> but I feel like, like, not that you can't write JavaScript and it would be good. I'm just thinking like in the audio situation, I'm constantly resource constrained. And I'm wondering if like just the fact that JavaScript can run there means that I don't have to write in whatever microcontroller bytecode directly. But yeah, uh, that's the whole like, point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But like JavaScript doesn't have like the memory management to be able to handle it on, on that resource constraint of a device, right? So I could not that, well, I guess I'd need to write Rust, not Go if I want a memory managed language, right? I don't know. I don't listen to anything I say. Yeah, I mean, Suze is making a really good point in, in, the, uh, in the chat here, which is that the, the value of writing things in JavaScript is that there's this huge ecosystem of modules that you can plug into, which... Um, well, not necessarily really for my use case. Like, there are not a lot of guitar pedal modules currently. Right? Well, I guess you could, you're going to have to make them. So well, yeah, like but I can make it go as well. <laughs> <laughs> but a lot of the underlying, like there's a huge bots community that you can tap into to help you build those guitar pedal modules as well, though. And there's a bunch of, you know, people doing different audio stuff uh, and different algorithms for messing around with audio that are, you know, that work on top of web audio that could also easily be used in your module as well. So there there are parts of the ecosystem that would be relevant for building guitar pedal modules. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, yeah, I mean, and these devices are only getting cheaper and faster, right? Like this is IOT is an area where Moore's law is still like in effect at the single processor level. So they're getting faster and cheaper and faster and cheaper every year. Yeah, so, for sure. um, yeah. So uh, depending on how long it's going to take you to write this module, you may just want to bet on, you know, the cost of that thing that's currently $14 coming down to $7 in a right. year or so. I don't, <laughs> I don't even no go so this is <laughs> <laughs> purely hypothetical well if we're just saying hypothetical languages that you could learn you could just learn assembler <laughs> well, well that's what i'm saying is like you get the benefit of a language that you don't mind writing which i assume go is um <laughs> and uh and then you, you can still do something and i still think go is actually a bad choice like rust or something might be a better choice where you have memory management it's memory safe and then uh you don't have to write assembler. <laughs> so my issue with, with people who talk about like uh, managing memory by hand as a feature is that like you're, you're living in this crazy world where you want to do that and you're not going to mess it up. And very few people live in that world. And if that, if with, that's the only world that you can be in in order to, to access a particular device, then it's like, I don't see a lot of software being written for that environment until it gets right. a little more democratized. But I think that's the environment currently with like, tiny six dollar uh, uh chips for audio pedals or whatever that's all yeah 
Yeah, you know, someday, someday. When uh, so that, when does Node version eight come out? Um, soon. Oh man, I should really know this. Um, we're we're working on a lot of the the messaging stuff right now, but I believe it's this this month. I think it's April. Yeah, April or, or early May will be the the initial release. A lot of people wait another six months though, um, because it's well, for six months it'll be the current release. And we're a little bit more liberal about adding features and stuff like that. Well, it's the current release. So a lot of businesses and enterprises and stuff like that wait until we put it into LTS where we have a slightly higher bar for getting code into it. Um, but yeah, the, it will kick over pretty soon. Async await will also be in there. So that's, that's fun. What else is in there? <laughs> is there uh, unless you shouldn't tell us because then we can talk about it like next week or something. <laughs> I mean, I think that those are the, the two main points is the new native API stuff and, and async await. And every time I say async await, I have, there's actually a video of this on the internet, but so, um, uh, Ben Michael, um, or Mitchell, I was, I, I love Ben. He's like one of my favorite people, but I always forget how to pronounce his last name. Um, he, he's an amazing musician. He, um, worked for and yet for a while and, oh. uh, yeah, yeah, he he did he did the full soundtrack for like the real time comp and all of that, like oh, really yeah, yeah. really impressive stuff. Yeah, he's really um, good at karaoke. <laughs> yeah, I would imagine. But he he did this song um, that was like in, in it, it's uh, it was to the tune of the lion sleeps tonight. But he did it at NodeConf, and it was all about um, like different modules and Node.js and stuff. But the the Awimba way part was a single weight, a single weight. And so now whenever anybody says a single weight, I just think of like Awimba way, Awimba way. Um, <laughs> so anyway, that was a random little diatribe there. Yeah. Sh- shout out! Shout out! Shout out to Ben! Uh, everybody, go and download the uh, the real time comp soundtrack. It was awesome. <laughs> All right. Um. Yeah. I think that we're uh, we. I think that we're good with this topic now. Um. Yes. We're gonna take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, we're gonna talk about getting new people into Node.js. Stay tuned. No, j- getting new people into JavaScript. Sorry. Yeah, I was yeah. like Node.js. What? First sponsor of the show today is our friends at Sentry, helping you to find and fix your errors in your applications. You can start tracking your errors today totally free. They support React, Angular, Ember, Vue, Backbone, and Node frameworks like Express and Koa. You can view actual code and stack traces, including support for source maps, see the errors URL, parameters, and session information, and even prompt your user for feedback when you have front-end errors. Head to jsparty.fm slash sentry. Start tracking your errors for free today. No credit card required. Get off the ground with their free plan. And when you're ready to expand your usage, simply pay as you go. Once again, jsparty.fm slash sentry. And now back to the show. And we're back. We're going to talk a little bit about getting new people into JavaScript. Uh, So why don't you take it away, Rachel? All right. So um, this is something that like people will come up and ask me a lot about conferences that aren't necessarily JavaScript focused. Uh, they just basically don't know where to start, especially with, you know, like how we spoke about um, like JavaScript fatigue and a, and a bunch of other things. Like there's just so many places to start from. And like, where should someone start? Should they use React? Should they learn React before they learn anything else? Should they pay attention to jQuery at all? Should they, you know, learn um, Ember or Angular or whatever. And um, that's, I guess, what we're going to talk about. And I'm going to say no to all of that. Learn vanilla. (laughs) (laughs) Only because I wish that's what I would have done. 
Um, which I kind of did, but I kind of just learned pieces of everything and then mashed it all together. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> but like, how far, how far do you take this? Right. I mean, like, like I, I literally learned assembler and NC and then Perl and like, you can, you can go way, way down the stack. So like, wh- I what actually is learned vanilla- hardware logic gates and then I learned <laughs> oh, assembler God. or then I learned binary. Oh God. I guess it depends <laughs> on First what I learned about silicon. I know, I know. See, metallurgy. Like, like, how far do you go? And like, even in vanilla JavaScript, like, what does vanilla JavaScript mean? Like, do you, do you learn only raw DOM calls, or like, are you allowed to use jQuery when you're learning JavaScript? Well, see, that I guess that depends on like. I mean, I've had jobs where they've gotten mad if we used jQuery, and then I've had jobs where like, use jQuery if you would like to use jQuery, and it just i guess it depends on if you want to focus on like front end if you want to focus on back end if you want to do be full stack if you want to do you know javascript robotics if you want to do creative coding it's it, it all depends on like what your focus is going to be where i think you should start well and where does some of the tooling fit in though right cuz like in a, you know babel is not vanilla javascript like you are compiling it down but you're also yeah. technically kind of using like a newer version of the language. So does that count as, you know, extra stuff that you're learning and not vanilla or is it? You, is you it mean like somebody enough? going in and like understanding ES6 syntax and stuff like that? Like, should they start there or should they start, you know, without that tooling in your opinion? Uh, I don't know. That's a hard question because, um, I mean, the I can only speak from like what I struggle with as, you know, like somebody that definitely still does not understand algorithms or like anything like that. Like I'm pretty much like just solely good with, um, you know, DOM manipulation stuff, front end strictly um, well, and obviously like JavaScript, um, well, node and node robotics, but I'm a weirdo. So. <laughs> Like my method was totally different. And I I wish that when I started, there was like resources available to me that there are available to people today. Um, I I think that like um, the JavaScript 30 course that Wes just came out with, Wes Boss just came out with is pretty decent. It basically just like it gives you an exercise, a small exercise every day. And you are slowly building up the, um, I guess not, I guess it wouldn't be muscle memory, but um, the repetition of like common things that you would use in JavaScript, like for loops and, you know, stuff like that to understand it. I think that the question is a little bit loaded um, because it's like, should you start with libraries or should you start uh, with, with uh, uh, vanilla or whatever? But yeah. I look at it a lot like, um, like music, right. Or, or something like that. Um, there are people who like, when they're four start like taking lessons and then they learn all the fundamentals and they practice scales and they learn theory and then they become musicians and are very good and, and have that type of knowledge. And then there are people who are like pick up a guitar when they're 15 to impress uh, other people and then they become musicians as well. And it, it's like it's actually much more important that you're just doing it in a way that, you know, you'll keep staying motivated than it is the actual path that you take. So I like, I disagree that if I showed you a book of algorithms before you got into node bots that you'd be like, Oh, that's something I'm interested in. It's the fact that you got into node bots and that you're now understand that algorithms can help you that you're interested in learning those algorithms. You have to kind of learn that, uh, that direction instead of the other one. True. 
And I think that this like conversation is unique to people that don't necessarily come from a CS background too. Well, from my perspective, at least I'm speaking of like self-taught, self-driven people that don't have that like fundamental basis of like, what is computing? You know, like if you're coming from that, like background, it, it would be totally different because you're going to understand a lot of the concepts of how the language is structured anyway. Right. So, and just like in, in music, like the people who aren't uh, classically trained always have like these weird, interesting and not like these, like if you master the fundamentals enough, you can do weird, interesting things because you understand why they're weird and interesting. But also like the people who are self-taught or like weirder musicians are often more creative and interesting and do more fun things. Whereas the people who are taught via rote, uh, like stay in the box more often because that's how they were taught. And, and it's totally possible to break out of those two, two molds. But, um, but I think that, that like follows somewhat pretty closely into development, just, just like any creative endeavor. Yeah, definitely. So like a while back, I got thrown into a couple of situations where it was like, oh, you know, like get these teenagers interested in programming. And um, right. the, and the, the, the thing that we figured out to do was like not try to show them code or anything like that. It was pull up their Facebook page or like, like this is how long ago this was. Kids still use Facebook. But um, you pull up like a website that they go to all the time and then right click on an element and inspect it and then start manipulating the text in it. And they're like, oh, my God, like this is this is not just readable. It's actually writable. And then you go from there to like copy out that element, put it on a page that kind of you have, but there's no style. So you've got to move over the style and manipulate it. And so you literally like work directly backwards from something that they're already interested in. Um, right. And like, they're not going to learn entirely to program that way, but it, it is like something that will like capture their interest long enough for them to go, oh, well, like, oh, now I should like really dive into this or I, I still don't care, <laughs> Which yeah. is, you know, some of them still don't, aren't going to care. Right. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I don't think that um, people should like just be explicitly exposed to chunks of code and be like, this is programming. Like if there's a project that you have an attainable goal goal in. And I think this applies to even just like anything, not just programming. If you have like a tangible um, or intangible, if it's on the internet, I guess you could touch your screen, whatever. Um, if you have an end goal of an end project and you know what you're working towards and you're able to break that up into parts, it's a lot easier to see the big picture and understand the smaller parts. Uh, it's And I think that it's better to keep people's interests that way too. Yeah. So the resource that I keep pointing people at that are new to programming is free code camp um, because it is sort of broken out into these structured um, lessons that you can go through. But each one you you can you you basically get a certificate and the way that they test you out of the certificate is that you actually work on a part of a real web application for a nonprofit. So the other side of free code camp is not just like finding people that want to learn how to program, but also nonprofits that need web work to be done. And then they, they also have people that want to learn how to like do project management. So these people break that, break it all up in the project management side so that all these people learning how to program can bike off, bite off pieces of it and get certified. It's really cool. Like it's a nice mix of like good course material and then some real world practice as well. I've also heard pretty good things that seem like along the same lines of free code camp. I've uh, about uh, code academies intro to JavaScript course. I haven't taken it myself, but I've seen that it gives you those incremental steps of, you know, working on different concepts as you go through. Um, I also really like the uh, Mozilla's uh, 
developer network site for JavaScript basics because it like tells you a story as it's telling you um, the elements. And I end up using it as a reference a lot when I'm working on personal projects. I should post that as a link. Why? Do, stop honking. Jeez. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, so I think that the best way to get into JavaScript is to continuously do things that interest you. Uh, and the rest kind of follows. If you go about it the other way, like, I think once you get old enough and disciplined enough, uh, like age is, is only barely related to this, but I found that like now that I'm older, I've done an, I've learned enough things to know that if I just sit down and slog through the fundamentals or whatever for long enough, that it'll really end up helping me. And I've like, I have that lesson embedded in me. So if you're that type of person or, or whatever, it's not necessarily better probably worse even, but, uh, you're that type of person then like sure go learn the fundamentals as long as you can like delay that reward of actually being able to create things but i think the most important thing you can do is make sure that you're not going to lose interest uh, because that's the biggest barrier i think to learning programming there are plenty of people who want to um and and like certainly it's difficult and we can make things easier in tooling and documentation all that stuff but i think the number one thing whenever I've worked with people or I know people are like, I want to learn programming, but I don't have enough time or I started that and I never finished it. Or uh, like I read that book, but I still don't know how to do anything yet. And I think it's just a matter of like, it, they haven't found the thing that grabs them enough to like, uh, to stick with it. And, and that's a tough thing. It's just like working out or losing weight or uh, any other uh, learning an instrument, anything like that. That's a really good comparison, actually, like diets. Like a lot of people mm -hmm. try diets and don't stick with them indefinitely. Right. Are you subtweeting me? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, there's one other resource that I love to recommend to people. Um, Rebecca Murphy has this really awesome repository. And this is definitely like once you've got all the basics down and you are like more involved in understanding JavaScript, um, it's a whole entire repository that's built around testing and the tests are broken and you have to figure out what you need to do in order to fix the tests. And I think that it's really good for people that are actually wanting to, you know, like get into having a career for JavaScript. Um, and it's always really great for like people that are starting out. So I'm going to paste that link too, because then it also gives people the fundamentals of like understanding how testing works. So it'll help in the real world. Yeah. Ideally. It's a, little, it's a little dated at this point, right? It's like, uh, um, it was uh, updated within the past year, but that might have been, um, it's like I, links to the Mocha project was switched uh, to the new URL to Mocha. It, it's not, it's not, it's, it's actually pretty good. Uh, but uh, just know that like, if you jump into like a react code base, like they're not going to use any of these specific tools, but all the ideas are going to be roughly the same. And, and a lot of it's just like the syntax has gotten nicer. Or, like the environment has gotten faster or easier to call something. People still use Mocha. So we sort of skimmed over this, but I think that like the, the motivation that people have for learning programming is like really big. Like we, we tend to always talk about this in terms of like getting a job um, and that one of the reasons why we want to teach programming to a bunch of people is so that they can get better jobs, which is like a fine motivator. But I think 
a lot of the reason why people stick with something is because they actually enjoy it. And a lot of people come to programming because like Suze was just saying, <laughs> like customizing their MySpace pages was like how they first got into it. Right. And then they stuck with it because they enjoyed it and they enjoyed that kind of thing. And I think all of us that came up in the early web were like, oh, my God, like view source. Holy crap. Like I can, I yeah. can view the source and then like do something with that. And now like a lot of the, the result of some of these tools is that view source doesn't, isn't like a good onboard into programming anymore. <laughs> yeah. um, and like, so w- what are the places where like, you know, there, there is still this level of customization that you can do and this level of playing around that you can do. Like one of the things that I like about NodeBots is that, um, it's still just so basic. Like you sit down and you just wire up a few things together and it's really simple and you can see how it works and you can see a result immediately. But what else uh- is like that out there? I I would say like the places that have popped up in order for you to do like code exploration, like CodePen, now Glitch, um, JS Fiddle, like those kind of things. Like if if I'm on like in the past, I've used CodePen to be like, I wonder uh, what you can type in a keyword. So I'll be like, I'll type in Glitch, no relation to the other side that we're talking about, because I want to see like what kind of really cool effects people are doing with glitchy stuff. And then I'll be able to go in and see all these pens that people have tagged with this certain aesthetic that I'm looking for. And I can view the code and then, you know, play around with it myself. And I that's probably the closest that I've found that feels the same way viewing source would be because I definitely used to do that a lot, too. Yeah, the, my my only issue with those things is that they're still like one step between a, a you know a normie and uh and that right like in order to get to CodePen to search for something you have to know CodePen exists and you have to know that you want to look for those things uh, in order to learn how to program them. Whereas like the the web in the early days kind of felt more like I was just using this already and like I can now discover how it's built automatically if, if, if that makes sense. And it's, it's not like a huge jump, but I, I think it's not insignificant. I think the MySpace customizations were kind of like that too, though, right? Yeah. Where yeah. you were just kind of customizing your page and then it was like, oh, what's this thing? <laughs> right? Yeah. And the, the other thing, the, the like customizing your page is one thing, but you would then like you used MySpace, not just for customization. You went to your friend's page and you're like, how the heck? do they have a gradient background with rounded corners? And then you have to learn <laughs> like that. Or, or like, like, does this button resize and have rounded corners? Are they using sliding doors? And then you'd have to like learn sliding doors. Um, Th- that said, I mean, the reason why we probably don't use MySpace today is because the, the visual like damage that that did to people <laughs> and the site in general. I mean, that's why Facebook won, right? <laughs> Right, right. Uh, yeah. I, so, I said it in the in the chat, but uh, I, I've actually found that since MySpace died a while ago, the, the generation of programmers that uh, are coming that, like into jobs and open source projects that I have often are talking about their Neopets pa- uh, page, customizing their Neopets page. So I think they're they're actually like end up accidentally being these uh, maybe probably more uh, niche sites then uh, i mean neopets probably was big as well but not as big as myspace uh that where this type of thing is still possible and then these like little communities of people who accidentally learn how to program pop up uh which is cool yeah yeah word wordpress um is is what uh, adam's saying in the chat and and the which i could see it's still kind of like there are one click wordpress installs and then you get into themes and then you want to update i i actually think that maybe like the fact that everyone or a lot of people listen to podcasts and then uh squarespace uh sponsors every single podcast in the entire <laughs> existence or whatever and so you hear about that and then 
you do Squarespace and it's like these slightly modifiable things like like some of that uh just the ubiquity of the web kind of replaces the need for like a single product that that makes this happen so yeah uh, and like the ubiquity of apps and the coolness of like the tech uh culture like among like you know western society or whatever like is are all drivers towards people like wanting to build an app or get rich or whatever which which push people in that in the direction I think a lot of the like older um, code, like natural code exploration that people did with like MySpace and Neopets was um, wasn't out of like necessarily a desire to learn how to code. It was pretty much more of a necessity for wanting to like make something look cooler. And then that just ended up having to also be code. (laughs) So the. I don't know what that would be now if I've never messed around with Squarespace, so I don't know how specific you can get. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's that's. I think that's just the act, thing. though, j- just the act of saying, like, I have a website, not a Facebook profile, not a Twitter right. profile, not like something in a social network. Literally, like, this is my domain name is is like really far down down the path of like, oh, you're basically going to start programming pretty soon <laughs> compared, yeah. just because of where the world is now. I mean, there's not really that need of necessity to do it yourself anymore because so many places have came along to just like do it for you. But I, guess but I think the- that's I think that's the a more fun way to learn, right? Like if instead of MySpace, there was uh, like, here's a hosting platform where you can host a profile that connects with other people's friends. Like that's GeoCity Web Rings or whatever. And that was successful, but not as successful as MySpace, right? Um, so, so I think like going at it from that angle is giving someone something that they want in order to immediately get the gratification and then telling them, oh, now you can customize this in order to like become cooler among your community. I think it's a really powerful mechanism for, for learning. Yeah, but I don't think there's that many places that do it anymore. Like I haven't even, I don't remember seeing any sites recently. Like you used to be able to just like totally customize your own CSS and drop it into some places. You can't really do that anymore. But yeah, I guess. I guess Eric's saying Tumblr. Tumblr's definitely, um, Tumblr's definitely, I would say, a really modern equivalent of MySpace. Though they have their own custom templating engine that people are having to use in order to like um, figure out how to display certain things on their profile. I think it's like pretty similar to like mustache templates, just yeah, like body braces and stuff. And it also, you know, a lot of custom Tumblr pages actually evoke those early mid 2000s design aesthetics too they're like maybe i'm just old but they're they're also like very small type and like the cute little animations and stuff so it's it's kind of like how it was however long ago that is now yeah awesome all right i think we're about to take a break now uh when we come back we'll talk a little bit about mastodon if you're looking for trusted freelance talent ready to join your team right now, I mean, like within the week, call upon my friends at TopTal, T-O-P-T-A-L.com. And as a listener of the show, you might actually be one of those developers or designers looking for awesome freelance, independent contractor type opportunities where you can still be a remote worker. You can still have the freedom you have right now, which means you can travel anywhere, you can be anywhere and do what you do. We love TopTal. They've been supporting this show for a very long time. They're really good friends of ours. 
If you want a personal introduction, I'd be glad to give that to you. Email me, adam at changelaw.com. Otherwise, head to toptal.com. That's T-O-P-T-A-L.com to learn more. Tell them Adam from Changelog sent you. And now back to the show. And we're back. Time to talk a little bit about Mastodon, the GNU social compatible microblogging server. The hell does that Ser- mean? Servers. <laughs> Servers. I will I will tell you what it means. Federated. So yeah. So Mastodon is um it is a social network and it is uh compatible with GNU social. Um but what it's doing is if you look at it, I think that the UI is very similar to how TweetDeck used to be. So it is definitely trying to be like an alternative to Twitter. But the the, the cool thing about it and the reason that everybody is super excited about it is because it's decentralized. So um, what that means is anybody can take the source code and spin up their own um, flavor of Mastodon on what is called, you know, their own Mastodon instance. And then they're able to participate in the whole instance entire social network. So there there are like certain quirks to that. So the main one is mastodon.social. This is the original one that has been in development for a bit. Um, there's also mastodon.xyz. And so we'll talk about those two first. Um, what they are is separate servers, um, but they're also separate federations. And the way that I've liked to compare these federations as a concept is like how Star Trek has federations. Basically, um, there's a greater code of conduct, a greater agreement across the whole entire Mastodon network as a whole. And that agreement is pretty much like, um, you know, no, uh, no racism, no um, sexism, no ableism, no isms, essentially. Be nice to people. Um, tag your content warnings, trigger warnings, stuff like that. And then um, the the main Mastodon social uh, code of conduct actually like explicitly says like no Nazis and no Holocaust denial, no stuff that is against like certain laws in in Europe, which is hey what place has a ton of Nazis and we don't want to hang out with them? Twitter. So um, a ton of people have made the jump over to Mastodon this week. Um, The other really great thing is it's open source. It's primarily written in Ruby, uh, the front ends in JavaScript. Um, There's a ton of different instances now. There's uh, Witches Team, which is a French-based instance that's for uh, like uh, people that are, that identify with like queer uh, feminism and like, um, you know, social justice issues. Um, Nolan Lawson made one that is toot.cafe, which is um, for JavaScript people. And he's looking for JavaScript people to join that one and, you know, play around with the the um, front end. Um, and the way that the, the federations work too is you have an account on one federation. So I am mastodon.social slash oho. But I have a friend on Witches Team, and uh, her name's Kelsey. So she's, you know, Witches Team, Witches dot Team slash at Kelsey, and I can talk to Kelsey because both of our federations have agreed that yes, we have similar values and they are good. So we are going to be able to allow um, cross instance communications. So you're able to talk to these other places that have common interests but different usernames because of the way that Mastodon is set up as a social network. Um, that being said, Mastodon is young. It is new. Uh, people are still, tr- it is new. 
kind of a pun. Um, people are still, you know, <laughs> trying to trying to struggle with um, moderation. So there are some people that are coming in and like being shitty as they do on the internet. But one thing that I've noticed is everybody is like pretty much super nice. Everybody is nice, really encouraging. I had mentioned briefly that oh, this is like giving me a reason to really want to learn um, Ruby. And so many people messaged me and gave me suggestions and they were like, you can do it. And it's just like a really positive experience. But that's because the community is so young. Yeah. Doesn't anyone yeah. have any questions? <laughs> if I had a prediction, I'd say that it seems like it, it'll gain some steam and it may even kind of rule the countryside for a few thousand years, but it'll eventually go extinct. Extinct. Oh, those cops are coming for you. <laughs> <laughs> that was the pun police. Um, okay, uh, so the, the UI looks a lot like TweetDeck. It's really similar to TweetDeck. It it seems kind of optimized for like uh, like power users at this point. Yeah, there's also though um, some really great mobile applications for it. So I I downloaded one for my phone and it works great. Um, that's for iOS. If you go to um, the main Mastodon repository, there's a whole entire list of apps already. Um, and there's let's see, there's already apps for Android, and then there's stuff for iOS. Somebody has already ported twit which is the uh, node twitter streaming api to allow you to make bots so there's a mastodon version of twit and i know that um the bot ally community has embraced mastodon there's a bots in dot space federation instance that you can join for making bots on it um people are already making tools uh darius uh tiny subversions made one for helping with oauth with mastodon um people are just like really i think excited about being able to um you know ha have their hands in something that they're using as a community and not have it being controlled by you know companies uh the cost to run a federation is you know the same cost as it would be to run any kind of server. It is a server instance. You're just like spinning it up and running it on your own thing. So, you know, that depends on how many people you want to be on your instance and, um, you know, how you want it. And at, right now, like, I think that they're still trying to figure out the best way to have the main um, federations, which is uh, .social and .xyz, get other people's instances added into those. So um, it's a whole process, but the the issues page of Mastodon has a ton of stuff that you can like find if you're interested in contributing. You don't necessarily need to know Ruby. There's they even tag stuff as fit for newbies, which I think is really great. Um, I don't know. It's just I hope it succeeds. I mean, it looks interesting. There's been a lot of attempts at kind of doing a federated social thing. Um, every time people get upset at Twitter or whatever. Um, well, I think, I think that the thing is, this has been being developed for a while, though. Like, I don't know how long um, the new social has been working. I guess I could Google it or Bing well, it. It's also built on a lot of APIs that they've been trying to do forever. So like the open social APIs, the pub sub hubbub stuff, um, all of which, you know, people have been developing for some of these like coming on 10 years now. Um, and a lot of the products that originally those were being used in didn't really take off. Um, but you could argue, you know, that's not necessarily because of the protocol. It, it might be because of, you know, the actual application or, or, you know, dealing with Twitter. But like, I, I mean, 
one of the the annoying things about federation though is just like you don't want like, like i want to i want to subscribe to nolan lawson i don't want to subscribe to nolan lawson at whatever random instance that he happened to do and like i and how do i know that that's the right nolan lawson and it's not like the nolan lawson at some other one of those that is you know trying to be him with the same avatar or whatever so true there's, well, there's yeah. like you a, know, yeah, yeah you know because he's verified his gpg private key uh, <laughs> against his other uh, uh as online assets uh right, it right. actually so, reminds so, me so a so lot you just of lost like 99 of all yeah. users of the internet yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh so it's called uh what is the the web of trust web of trust circle of trust on mm-hmm. uh, no, web of trust web of yeah trust. So, uh, yeah i honestly think like web of trust stuff is you know gnu's uh gpg's like uh favorite uh term to throw around but i think i think that works a lot uh, in the favor of one of these federated networks. And it, you know, it works for the nine people who use, uh, GPG key servers as well. Um, but it, 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 you know, like if you've used Keybase, that's like a good example of knowing that Nolan Lawson is really that like, if you could verify yourself on Keybase, um, along with, uh, like on Mastodon, which maybe it is, they should implement that. Then you could know that this was verifiably like, provably via math, uh, the, the correct Nolan Lawson. Does that make sense? Yeah. Sort of. <laughs> Enough. Well, one thing that I do want to point out that I think um, is important is if I don't think that Mastodon is trying to be a Twitter replacement. I think that Mastodon is filling a void that a lot of people need. Like they don't want to um interact with people that think trolling is fun. And so the explicit, like very strict code of conducts and specific federated instances that have their rules are extremely friendly to people that I don't, that are like queer and transgender and, you know, social very interested in like communism and socialism and anarchy and that kind of stuff. And Mastodon is, has like came out of that to kind of give them a place where they feel safe, like talking about this thing. And they don't have to think that every single anime avatar is going to be somebody that's going to tell them to go fuck themselves. Um, and I don't know, it's, it's, I've seen a lot of tweets lately that have been like, Hey, uh, Hey, Mastodon users. If, uh, if you see people with anime avatars, they're probably just like artists and geeks and LGBTQ folks instead of Nazis. So actually, Nolan said this. Um, so it's it's like a bit of a culture sh- shock. And then I saw a post the other day that was um, very nice and interesting. And it was essentially, um, <laughs> oh, my God, Mastodon is a way to be nice, but in a chill way to strangers on the Internet. This is all I've ever wanted in life is to make some mother <laughs> feel good censor that if you need to i came here to be nice to people and chew bubble gum and i'm all out of peppermint but no worries i totally have other flavors so here have some gum and i don't know that was, the, that was the most millennial thing i've ever heard in my life that was amazing <laughs> it's it, it sounded like like a an ad for grizzle from parks and rec or something <laughs> oh my god i don't i i think it's i think it's really nice and it feels nice to like go on and be in a timeline where like people are people are like not being jerks and they're just like mm-hmm. wanting to be helpful. Um, yeah. 
And so, so I, I wonder, so how are they enforcing that in, in the federated model though, right? Like I understand how you can yeah. um, enforce that in an instance, right? And have a code of conduct for that instance, but yeah. because they're federated and they're connecting to each other, how are they filtering the content out of the federation network? Well, so, oh, do you want to go? Uh, like that's, how, yeah, well, I, I'm going to make a educated guess based on how oh. a lot of the other stuff works, but like the, the federations can choose like based on who you follow and who the people in the federation follow what other federation what other instances to share content with or not share content with so mm -hmm. both the beauty and the pain of this is that it's perfectly uh possible if not unlikely for uh, other social reasons that like the nazis set up their own mastodon uh instances totally. and that are all federate with each other but then like the crossover of those two federations is actually very small um because, Basically, they would be yeah. isolated, like other federations right. would opt out into seeing that stuff. So, you know, if people do try and join and abuse the service, they're going to be isolated into those silos that they've created for themselves. Right. So it's essentially like in three years, you have the Facebook uh, timeline problem where you, you only are looking at people who are confirming your biases. Not that I think Nazis should have a platform for anything, but, but also like there is a chance for like hyper, uh, you know, hyper, uh, federation, not federation, hyper something, uh, to where like, it, it actually would be better to open up uh, a little more in, in my opinion. Like I try to follow people who I disagree with, um, currently on Twitter in order to just understand perspective, uh, uh, and those types of things. I, in no way, uh, do I mean Nazis or misogynists or anything like that. I mean, like, uh, fiscally conservative people or whatever like <laughs> I, so i i actually i actually really hope that they do like create their own instances and have their own federation network because then you're going to see them like fracture and get mad at each other oh yeah like, like, like the people that are like crazier and crazier it's going to be great so it's, it's like the 4chan 8chan problem where like <laughs> i mean yeah yeah it's just <laughs> subsections of horribleness yeah no that's yeah. a really good really good example but oh, I have to go now. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, share your pick with us before you go, and then and then me and Alex will get into our picks. So I didn't pick one because I thought I was going to be able to go early. <laughs> <laughs> your pick is undefined. What's My your favorite pick... hot? What's your favorite hot sauce? That'll be your pick. <laughs> oh gosh. Well, I could tell you my favorite ringtone. It's not that one. Um. I'm going to actually say that my pick of the week is going to be Nolan Lawson's branch of Mastodon because I'm a moderator on it. And then come be nice with me and let's make cute things on Mastodon. OK, I'm going now. <laughs> yeah. Michael just got dropped. Uh, this episode so, is falling apart live. Uh, you, you heard it here first. Hello. Uh, oh, he's back. OK, I'll, I'll stay. And oh, he's back. OK, no, I'm yeah. leaving now. Have a good weekend. I'm back. Hi, Rachel. Hi. Yeah, for some reason, when my phone rang, Apple decided that anything else should just be cut off. So, <laughs> yeah. All right. So, picks. Alex, what's your pick? Uh, my pick this week is uh, GPG tools. That's uh, a way to set up. Uh, actually, uh, that was a little bit of a joke, but my pick is Keybase. Um, I think all of the, the, uh, it, GP, so GPG is GNU Privacy Guard, which is an OSS version of PGP, which used to stand for pretty good privacy. Maybe it still does, but it's all like uh, encryption privacy type stuff. So if you have like public key, private key, all that kind of stuff, uh, 
to where um, you can kind of verify your identity with like big long things. There are like uh, I'm trying to explain it in a way that makes sense, but nothing I do. That's the pro- that's the whole problem. Uh, so like if you've ever seen like an email come through and it says like begin uh, PGP uh, encryption, that's what this is. Um, the um, the thing that I'm actually uh, suggesting that you use though is key base IO. So like you can do it. You, you generate yourself a private key and a public key. Uh, you keep the private key to yourself. You push the public key up to Keybase uh, as well as other key servers. And then you can like tweet out from your Twitter account that says like, I'm this person on Keybase. And based on that, it kind of verifies that like you are really that person. And so it ties your social identities uh, to your uh, your encrypted identities. And then if you need to uh, verify that someone is someone, uh, you can use those identities, uh, or send them encrypted mail if, if, if they know how to do that. So, uh, that's my, uh, that's my pick this week. Keybase.io. Awesome. awesome. It's kind of like a user interface for being able to do, uh, encryption and privacy and, uh, all that kind of stuff in a, in an easier way than it used to be. It's, it's basically, it's an identity authority essentially for, for yeah. yeah, but yeah, federated in, in the sense that, uh, well, it's not federated. The the service, itself, <laughs> but but it uses other uh, services in order to to do those verifications. But it also doesn't need uh, a service. It could be a web page or your email or something like that as well. Cool, awesome. So um, I'm gonna, you know, I picked this before and I've talked about it a ton. Uh, but WebTorrent is just one of the coolest projects like on the internet. Um, there's a whole changelog episode about it. Um, there's a great desktop a client for using WebTorrent. Uh, if you don't know, it's it's an implementation of BitTorrent on top of WebRTC and all of the, the peer-to-peer protocols that we have on the web now. Uh, but what I specifically want to plug, actually, is just pulling WebTorrent in as a library like you would anything else that you run through Browserify and using it in some of your applications. Like, So start playing with the idea of just dragging and dropping files into the browser and sharing them out like that and think about like ways that you could integrate this completely alternate uh, mode of content delivery and usage. So, uh, and the, the, the changelog podcast on WebTorrent will be in the show notes. Uh, it's already been posted in, in the chat. So that looks good. That's the show for today. Thanks, thanks everybody for showing up. Uh, it's been a great show. Um, thank you to all of our sponsors. Uh, rate us on iTunes. Uh, go to GitHub slash the changelog slash JS party uh, and suggest any kinds of uh, suggest any new topics for us to cover. Um, also, we record live uh, every Friday at uh, noon Pacific. And uh, that's it for the show. Boots, 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 boots. That's the outro. <laughs> All right, that wraps up this episode of JS Party. Join the community in Slack with us in real time during the show. Head to changelog.com slash community. Follow us on Twitter. We're at JS Party FM. Special thanks to our sponsors, Sentry and TopTal. Also, thanks to Fastly, our bandwidth partner. Head to fastly.com to learn more. This episode was edited by Jonathan Youngblood, and the theme music was produced by Breakmaster Cylinder. We'll see you again next week. Thanks for listening.